A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? Hello and welcome to the Narcissist Ramblings podcast with me, the Narcissist Psychologist, um, where today I'm going to be talking about the question of whether all feelings are valid. Um, but before we get into that, I uh, just wanted to let you know that I've been listening to the intro music whilst I've actually been doing the intro and it's actually quite soothing. Actually makes me feel like I'm a bit of a DJ. Um, not that I would actually be any good as a DJ because I feel like that is really intense work. Um, but seeing as it's like half nine at night, um, yes, half nine at night, this is how committed I am to bringing you a podcast. Um, and it's quite dark outside. I feel like I'm a little bit like a late night DJ and the music's just faded out now. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to start my show. Um, if I was a DJ, but I'm not a DJ. I'm just a random dude that likes to do some podcasts and talk about some shit. Uh, so here we go. So are feelings valid? Are all feelings valid? Um, I guess the reason why I wanted to ask this question and the, the reason why I wanted to just discuss it is because um, as with all things on social media, um, there, there's a tendency for all these things to kind of be taken to the extremes. Um, and quite often um, there is a sense that I get around the use of the sort of phrase, all feelings are valid, um, which almost seems to sometimes uh, justify why people might act in certain ways. Um, and I guess there seems to be um, a bit of a, well, I get a, I guess a bit of a, I guess a, a bit of an assumption that because all feelings are valid, therefore all reactions to those feelings must also be true and accurate and fair and reasonable. Um, so, and I guess you know, in the work that I do, um, that's not necessarily always the case. So, what I thought I would do is spend some time um, having a bit of a discussion about emotions, um, their validity, um, and I guess maybe offer some suggestions based on the therapeutic model that I am trained in, uh, well, one of the therapeutic models that I'm trained in to kind of help think about, um, about emotions. So I guess before we kind of move into the question of validity, it's probably worth trying to think about, um, what emotions are, which <laughs> I'll be honest is a bit of a tricky thing to define. Cause I guess, you know, if somebody said, you know, what's an emotion, they're kind of really abstract, aren't they? Um, apart from the fact that they seem to be sort of internal responses. So, um, you know, emotions appear to be sort of full body experiences that occur in reaction to, well, I guess, stimulus or, you know, triggers, as some people might say, um, in the sense that obviously, you know, something happens outside of us or something happens internally, like a thought, um, or something else, um, like a physical sensation or something like that. And we may then feel an emotion, which then in and of itself is a set of, um, physical, uh, physiological responses and sensations that we feel throughout our body. So, um, oftentimes that might be accompanied by 
um, like sensations, so um, feelings in your stomach, um, prickly sensations, uh, feelings of heat throughout your body, um, accompanied by other physiological sensations like um, you know fast increased heart rates, uh, sweaty palms, perspiration, dry mouth. Um, you know some of the things that I feel whilst doing these podcasts on my own. <laughs> Um, because despite the fact that I do the podcast all by myself, I'm still imagining that somebody on the other side of this podcast is sitting there listening and judging me and being like, you're such a wanker. Why do you talk such shit? Um, and even the power, even the power of that thought has the ability to create an emotional reaction in me. So, which is actually a bit of a, an example that we might work through later on when we think about the validity of emotions. Um, so yeah, so I guess in summary, emotions are sort of like full body experiences that have, you know, I guess, um, adapt adaptive, um, reasons for existing. So, you know, they're part of our natural biological makeup. They're there for a reason. Um, and that reason is pretty much essentially for us to survive. Cause, um, as I'm about to say, there are, I guess, three functions as to why we have emotions. So, one of the first reasons as to why we have emotions is that they motivate us and organize us for actions, for action. Um, so they prepare us physically for action. So often when we have um, an emotion, you'll often find that they are accompanied by an urge. Uh, so like an urge to take action or to do something. Um, and often there are specific urges that are linked to specific emotions. Um, so for example, if you think of some of the um, sort of fight flight emotions, so like getting angry or um, frustrated, but then also, you know, getting scared or wanting to withdraw, there's often sort of uh, physical urges that might then be triggered within our, within our body um, and are connected through our nervous system, um, which will then kind of um, prepare us or make us do something. So along that, um, sorry, alongside that, they also save us time um, because they help us act on important situations so that we don't necessarily have to think things through, uh, which can sometimes be a bit of a problem, uh, but we'll get to that later on. Um, so yeah, so basically um, emotions also help us react to things quite quickly. Um, and I guess because of all these things, because they happen really quickly, because they help us make decisions, because they're really automatic and because they're linked to our nervous system, they're really, really hard to change. Um, so therefore like um, our responses to emotions, um, if we want to change them, um, they need you know quite a lot of practice and we need to think about awareness of emotions and um, uh, what our responses to emotions might be. Okay. So the third thing that emotions, sorry, the second thing that emotions um, do is that they um, communicate to and influence others. So um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but um, oftentimes when people have an emotional reaction, it's quite... Um, easy to see um i mean this is obviously very fairly dependent on whether you um have a sort of uh, typical um i guess ability to recognize body language and facial expressions i know that some people with some uh, neurodevelopmental difficulties may find this more difficult than others but i guess sort of just on the whole um emotions you know, when somebody has an emotional reaction, um, it is usually kind of uh, noticeable in their face or their body language, um, which then other people who are then attuned to 
people's facial expressions or nonverbal communication overall uh, may pick up on those emotional, uh, those sort of um, nonverbal cues, um, which then may communicate to, which they may then pick up as a communication that somebody has is having an emotional reaction. Um, so, so yeah, so then because because of that, um, our emotions, so sort of our uh, nonverbal reactions to emotions, may then have an automatic effect on other people. So, I guess an example to think about is, um, you know, when somebody sort of that you love smiles at you um you're often maybe then filled with feelings of warmth or love for them or um some kind of nice calming um feeling um and that's because the, their emotional communication through the smile um and also the i guess uh link in terms of the relationship that you have to that person um then makes you feel a particular way, which then kind of will have a um, an automatic reaction in you, which will probably be some kind of emotional trigger. Um, so then because of all of this, uh, emotional expression has the capacity to influence others. Um, so again, um, so sorry, so then you also then have the capacity to influence other people with your own emotional expression. So again, thinking about if you were to smile at somebody that you love, you might then fill them with those similar or same feelings of uh, warmth or contentment and things like that. So then the third um, reason or the third benefit or the third reason why we have emotions um, is that they're a communication to ourselves, okay? So not only are they a communication to other people about how we might be feeling, but they are a communication to ourselves. So they can signal that there might be something going on that we might need to check out. So that's potentially either internally or externally. So I guess, if we, again, so if we're thinking about our fight-flight responses, um, it might be a little bit like an alarm bell that goes off, um, and I guess, you know, one of the ways in which that's often described is like, you know, your gut instinct or sort of um, when you get goosebumps um, or sort of more more nicely when sort of, you know, you get um, positive vibes of people, you know, those those um, those emotional reactions that you have um, are communications from your body to yourself about kind of the environment around you, um, which then we interpret as information. I guess the information that we kind of um, will take from the emotion will depend on the emotional the emotion that we're feeling. So, um, I guess if we're feeling emotions like um, anxiety, worry, even fear, then I guess the the information that we're taking on board is that there's probably a threat of some kind in our environment. If we're um, you know, if the emotions that we're feeling are related more to sort of like melancholia, sadness, um, low mood, um, I guess apathy, things like that, then I guess, um, although apathy, I suppose, is a absence of emotions rather than an emotional emotion itself. It's probably more like a state, isn't it? Yes. Apathy is probably a state rather than an emotion. Um, but I guess like if you're feeling sadness or anything like that, then that's, you know, probably an indicator that sort of something around us um, has happened, which, um, you know, there's probably some kind of loss that's occurred because I think sadness is usually about loss. So, yeah. Um, 
So yeah, so emotions have a point and a purpose. So if motions, so if, if motions, if emotions do all these things, why am I questioning whether um, all emotions or all feelings are valid? And the reason I'm doing it and the reason I'm questioning it is because I guess there is a distinction between validity and accuracy. So when we talk about um, emotions being valid, what this means is, is that when something happens either externally or internally, which creates an emotional response, the fact that you have an emotional response is valid. The validity that we talk about in terms of emotions is the fact that we can't deny that what occurs internally inside you as an emotional response happens. So I guess, you know, if something happens to you and you get angry or you get really overwhelmed and you get or you get frightened or you get sad or you get like really, really distressed, the fact that you've got angry and the fact that you've got distressed and the fact that you've got sad is valid and they happen and those feelings are real. And I guess the idea behind validity is that um, it's an acknowledgement that whatever happens for you internally um, is true, it's real, it happens, um, and I guess there's evidence of it in, in, in the way that your body reacts and, and how you feel it within yourself. But I guess the idea that just because they just because you have an emotional reaction doesn't necessarily mean that the um, the reasons why you had that reaction um, are are an accurate reflection of reality. Okay, um, I guess what sometimes happens is that people will confuse the fact that because they had an emotional reaction and because they felt angry, um, they the the thing that happened definitely did make them angry or they had a right to get angry at the person that that did whatever it was that made the person angry um and oftentimes people will treat emotions as facts um whereas emotions aren't facts but rather they are cues and cues can be misleading um and i guess when we treat cues as facts we can kind of run into all kinds of troubles troubles we can kind of, we can run into all kinds of trouble um so I hope I've made that distinction quite clear in the sense that when we talk about validity and accuracy, validity means that the emotional response that a person had was valid, real, and definitely did occur. However, just because you had an emotional reaction to something doesn't necessarily mean that the um, that, that is accurate of the reality that occurred. And I guess that's quite tricky because I suppose, you know, what we what we would hope and because emotions are these kind of uh, survival mechanisms that we have um, evolutionarily built into us we would hope that because we have an emotional response that that is a accurate reflection of what's happened outside of us or internally and so therefore the way in which we respond would be would fit uh, because you know why would we not because i guess why why else would we have that emotional reaction um so i guess so I guess it might help to try and sort of clarify why um, emotions or why the accuracy of emotions might not necessarily always be 100% um, true. So um, one of the, or I guess one of the more obvious reasons as to why our emotions might not necessarily always be an accurate reflection of reality um, is, you know, if we've experienced trauma. Um and I guess when I'm talking about 
the trauma I'm, I, you know i mean i mean all kinds of trauma but i guess you know um sort of in, particularly in relation to some of the people that i work with i'm sort of talking about quite severe you know chronic um developmental and or sort of complex type trauma um which then kind of has an impact on um our autonomic nervous system so um the autonomic nervous system off the top of my head and if this is not correct please don't shoot me um but please kind of just double check that what i'm saying is not a load of shit um i guess our autonomic nervous system is the part of our nervous nervous system that kind of just reacts automatically so autonomic so it's the part of our bodies that uh, function without necessarily us having to think about it um, and just kind of keeps us alive on a day-to-day basis automatically without any kind of um thinking or or effort um so you know stuff like our heart beating our our um lungs breathing blood flowing um muscles just you know doing what they do the nerve endings firing back and forth throughout our bodies that's kind of like our auto- autonomic nervous system so when people experience quite significant trauma um the autonomic nervous system um becomes well, I guess what you'd call oversensitive or highly sensitive. Um, and um, I guess that's kind of linked to the amygdala in someone's brain, which is sort of our, well, I guess our alarm system or our fire alarm system in our brain. It's the it's the part of our brain that kind of goes off when we sense something um, in, in our environment or when something happens. It's kind of what sort of sends off the neurons throughout our body to kind of say, hey, something's happened. Um, you kind of need to react. You kind of need to be aware. Um, and it, it's what kind of primes us. Um, and I guess specifically when we're thinking about um, trauma, we're thinking about sort of an overactivation of what's known as the um, sympathetic nervous system. So this is where our fight flight um responses sit um the other part of our autonomic nervous system is called the parasympathetic nervous system and that's a little bit more of our freeze and fawn so you know um our body naturally goes into um sorry our parasympathetic nervous system automatically comes online when we're um, resting it's sort of called our rest and digest um part of our system whereas the um sympathetic nervous system is kind of like yeah our fight flight um it's our mobilization nervous it's the mobilization part of our nervous system so when we experience like significant trauma um the part of our body so the amygdala that kind of activates the mobilization so the fight flight um uh, and sympathetic part of our nervous system um that can become really oversensitive. The amygdala can become oversensitive, um, a bit like a faulty fire alarm system. So if the amygdala um, functions kind of as it should, um, it should be really attuned to threat within our environment. And when threats or um, some kind of external stimulus occurs, um, we should, you know, our amygdala should kind of um, work like a fire alarm. Um, It should make a noise it should send signals to our bodies and we should then respond accordingly the only problem is if somebody experiences trauma the 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 fire alarm system in our brain becomes faulty um and it starts to go off for it starts to um be set off by anything and everything so you know um just off the top of my head 
things like you know like you know <laughs> you know when you go to um I don't know, some hotels or places like that, they always say like to be cautious about spraying hairspray or deodorant or um, even sometimes um, steam from showers can set off uh, fire alarms in people's houses or hotel rooms and things like that. Or I would imagine not hotel rooms because then those are probably dodgy hotel rooms. But you know what I mean? You get the point, don't you? Um, And I suppose the people who have tr- who have had trauma i guess have really oversensitive really activated fire alarms that will trigger um or be set off for things that might not necessarily be actual threats um they might be perceived threats or they might be situations that are similar to the traumatic experiences which will then kind of overact um uh, activate the amygdala um which i then guess will kind of flood people's bodies with emotions continuously over time repetitively repeatedly sorry and um and i guess what that then tends to happen is that because people um are easily activated or their nervous systems are easily activated um by various different trauma triggers um what that then means is that the way in which they react or the way that they feel isn't necessarily always a complete and accurate reflection of the reality in which they um, find themselves. Because I guess, you know, as I was saying, if they're triggered by things that are quite similar to or related to the trauma, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are actually in a um, traumatic setting. It's just that there is a reminder of the trauma um, around them. So therefore the way that they feel whilst valid, because it's linked to the trauma, um, whilst valid and a real sense of fear or distress isn't necessarily accurate because they're not necessarily in the exact same situation in which um, the trauma occurred. Um, so, so that, so there's that one. So then the other thing that tends to um, distort the accuracy of our emotional reactions are that, are um, our cognitive biases and our cognitive distortions, um, which I guess are also linked to our beliefs about ourselves. Um, So as human beings, we all have had various different experiences, upbringings, which all kind of then sort of shape um, the way in which we view the world, um, which will be our sort of cognitive biases and our filters and our distortions. Um, And very often events that happen outside of ourselves Um, will then be filtered through these various biases and distortions. Um, And oftentimes we can um, make a lot of assumptions and judgments um, or we can interpret the actions of other people uh, through these distortions and through these biases, um, which then add a different flavor or a different um, inference or a different meaning to the actions of other people, um, which may then result in um, an emotional reaction that doesn't necessarily quite fit with the way in which somebody did something or said something. So at the start of this episode, I talked a little bit about this sort of <laughs> crushing high expectation that if I didn't put a podcast out, put, didn't put a podcast episode out, um, 
you know, I would feel really judgmental of myself, which has no actual basis in reality. Um, part of the reason why I feel judgmental about myself is because I assume that um, somebody listening to this podcast will be really, really disappointed and actually be a little bit miffed at the fact that I missed a, missed a day. I have no evidence of that. Nobody's ever said, oi, you missed a podcast, you wanker. Um, why didn't you put one out? Um, you're really shit and uh, you're the worst podcast host I've ever heard. No one's ever said that. I've got no evidence to suggest that. Um, but my own biases and my own uh, my own expectations about myself and my own sort of like um, distortions about um, well my own catastrophizing distortions I suppose about what people might think or say or um, the way in which they might view me if I didn't get a podcast episode out on time um, fills me with a certain amount of anxiety and dread um, or, and, and a bit of discomfort, a bit of shame, maybe a bit of embarrassment there, um, all of which isn't true. Um, and as I'm saying this now, I probably should just have stopped recording this podcast and just given myself a bit of a break and actually just um, given myself the opportunity to write this out as a proper podcast instead of this kind of ad hoc way of doing it. But anyway, this is slightly more authentic, right? <laughs> um so yeah, so what am I saying? So, right, so um, basically what I'm saying is that um, the 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 way in which we view the world, the way in which we view ourselves, the way in which we think about other people um, may put a filter um, over how we interpret the stimulus or things that happen outside of ourselves. So similarly, we can apply those um cognitive filters to ourselves so our beliefs about ourselves the way in which we think about ourselves you know i've just given a, i've just given an example about um how i view myself versus how i worry about what other people think um which then um creates these unnecessary unreal well unnecessary unnecessary and likely not real um real worries uh, not not necessarily real worries um, that then create an emotional reaction in me. So the fact that I, so I guess the fact that I have anxiety or, or the fact that I have embarrassment um, or may have embarrassment about the fact that I haven't got a podcast or that I wasn't going to have a podcast to um, put out this week, um, all those feelings are valid because I feel them, they're in my body, um, and they are, yeah, they're, they're real. Um, but just because they're real doesn't necessarily mean that they are an accurate reflection of what people think about me. And actually, the fact that I um, feel anxiety is probably, in this instance, um, more of my own making than anybody else's doing. Um, so, yeah. So, hopefully, that's kind of given some overview as to what I mean when I talk about um, the accuracy of emotions and how I guess you know emotions can sometimes not necessarily um, be an accurate reflection of reality okay so if that's the case and if it is the fact that sometimes our emotions aren't necessarily the most reliable and that they might make us feel certain ways that aren't necessarily quite in line with how reality is, what do we do about it? So 
One of the things I'm going to talk through is a skill that forms part of the emotional regulation module uh, within DBT. So I'm a DBT practitioner, which stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. And DBT is a therapy that has been designed for um, people who have, you know, I guess what you would call borderline personality disorder. So people who have strong emotional reactions and whose reactions may lead them to react in quite harmful ways, either to themselves and sometimes to other people. So it's, so it's a, so it's a therapy that's specifically designed for helping people cope and manage with emotions. And I guess some of the cognitive biases and, um, that may exist. And I guess the potential lack of awareness around emotions, that may exist um, when they um, have, I guess, personality characteristics or traits or emotional dysregulation difficulties that would kind of fall within the borderline uh, personality disorder profile. Um, the thing about DBT is that even though it was designed and works really well for people who would um, draw that kind of diagnosis, a lot of the skills are actually really, really helpful for kind of everyday Every, every, you know, the everyday person, the everyday average person. Um, so that's the reason why I'm going to kind of talk through this, this skill. Cause I guess if our emotions are valid, but they're not necessarily an accurate reflection of reality, what we might want to then do is to double check whether the emotional reaction we have fits reality. And I guess the skill that is used within DBT is something called check the facts. So I guess what Check the Facts does is that it asks you to think about the prompting event, so the thing that caused the emotional reaction. And then what it asks you to do is to think about all the different types of interpretations that might occur um, with the event, um, which you kind of then have to kind of really think about in relation to yourself. So you kind of have to have a... Um, a good understanding of, I guess, the way in which you might see the world, or at least an, a, a willingness to be open to the fact that um, there are various different interpretations that can occur about this um, through the same event. And I guess that's often helped by the fact of, you know, trying to think about how somebody else other than you might have viewed um, the same event. Um, because, you know, quite often, the way in which uh, one person sees or experiences something is quite different to the way that another person sees or experiences it. Um, so one of the things that you might want to do is when you're thinking about the event, try to think about how um, the different types of interpretations that might have occurred, the different type of thoughts um, that might go along with the event. So oftentimes um, what will happen is that an event will happen and then a thought will pop and pop up into our head that occurs automatically because of the various different distortions that we have. And then we oftentimes then might react to those thoughts. Um, so, you know, if somebody makes a bit of a joke and then you have the thought that pops up in your head of that person is making fun of me, you might then react to the fact that you are being made fun of rather than just, um, hearing the joke for what it is. Um, because then, you know, there's there's a whole, there's probably a whole sort of set of um, feelings or um, emotions or other judgments that you might have about being made fun of. Um, so, so, yeah, so when we're thinking about the event, we've got to check the interpretations, check the thoughts, check the assumptions that we might be making about the event. Um, and I guess what we then need to do is we need to then, in order to kind of, um, cut through that what we generally recommend is that you describe the events um, objectively as they happened based on um, I guess 
observable facts. So what is it that somebody said? What is it that somebody did? Rather than they did that because or this or what they did um, was because they wanted to, you know, sort of really, really examine and describe and think about the words um, or the actions specifically as they are. Um, when we're thinking about internal triggers or prompting events, we've got we to think about the fact that um, we are often, oftentimes our own sort of self-criticisms or our own judgments about ourselves come from thoughts or beliefs that we have about ourselves. So the checking the facts um, sort of invites us to just accept the fact that sometimes we have a thought and again, in, in similar to emotions, thoughts aren't necessarily always facts. Sometimes just be, sometimes we think that just because we have thoughts, um, it means that those thoughts must be true. And that's not necessarily the case as well. Just because we have a thought um, doesn't necessarily mean that the, the thought is 100% accurate. Um, sometimes it's just a thought that pops into your head. Sometimes they're pretty random. Sometimes they're related to what it is that we're doing or thinking about or engaging in. But oftentimes uh, they might just be a thought. Um, so, so yeah. So then what you want to try and do is you want to try to figure out if that you you want to try to figure out um, if you're assuming a threat of some kind based on the based on the event. So is there something that you think is actually going to happen? Um, and then I guess what that will then require is some evaluation of whether that threat will actually occur, but then also what are the possible outcomes? So I guess the idea here is that oftentimes, you know, as I said, in terms of the sort of um, autonomic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system is that oftentimes uh, we will react physically, our body will mobilize for action because there is potentially some kind of threat. Um, and sometimes the threat will be like an actual, like a fear inducing threat. But then again, the threat could also be like a threat to your self uh, esteem, a threat to your self worth. Um, it could be the the threat of a loss or the potential for a loss. So when we talk about threat, we don't necessarily think about something that might be scary or dangerous, but I guess we're just trying to think about um, the the threat to self in some kind of way. Um, so then what you what you want to do when you're checking the facts is to think about like, so when the event happened and the interpretations that occurred, do those did those interpretations or those sorry are those interpretations and are those assumptions maybe making the potential threat bigger than it actually is and am i reacting to an actual threat or an assumed or perceived threat um and i guess you know what you then got to have to try and do is figure out if it's real or perceived and i guess if it is real you know, what is the what is the actual outcome of the real threat? Um, because oftentimes um, one of the filters that we have, one of the cognitive filters that we have is that we may often catastrophize and we may often make the threat out to be bigger than it actually is. So if we think really, really specifically about the threats that we are feeling, so the threat to ourselves, the threat to our safety, the threat to our sensibilities, the threat to our reputation, all those different types of things, um, if if the threat is real, because sometimes the threat is real, uh, sometimes the threat is legitimate and sometimes people um, are trying to be really nasty to us. Sometimes people are trying to say things that are really awful to us. Sometimes people are trying to hurt us in some way or belittle us or whatever it might be. Um, 
So I guess what you have to then try and think about um, is if the threat is real and then what is the potential outcome for that real threat. But then if the threat isn't real, you kind of have to then weigh up, okay, well, even if this threat was real or because this threat isn't real, so sorry, no. So because this threat isn't real, you have to then think about what the actual outcome is because if it's an assumed threat, what is the actual outcome? Because... Assumed threats are just that. They're assumed threats. Sometimes they're based in reality. Um, and I guess, you know, people would, you know, people who have had really difficult pasts and really difficult histories often have like a really valid reason to assume that an actual threat will occur. But I guess what we have to then try and do, and I guess this is where it's kind of really tricky. And this is where, you know, this kind of skill takes a lot of practice. Um, also, the skill is not something that kind of you just sort of do straight away it's kind of a little bit about a um you know it's a sort of it can be used as a bit of a reflective task um you know when a situation has happened to kind of weigh up whether um the reaction to a situation was um helpful or not or valid or not um but then sort of with practice over time um i guess the hope is that people will be able to kind of really weigh up um the sort of uh, validity of um, their emotional responses to certain situations sort of in a sort of automatic kind of way. Um, but I guess, yeah, so what was I saying about assumed threats? Oh, yes. So I guess the idea behind assumed threats is that oftentimes people have very valid reasons for assuming that something is going to happen or that something is going to play out in a way that it in um, it play out in a certain way based on history. But I guess the idea is that... Um, unless you are definitively actually living in a continuously threatening environment or living with somebody or people who are continuously, you know, posing some kind of threat to you, um, oftentimes those threats are just perceptions or assumptions or, um, yeah, uh, yeah, assumptions about what's going to happen based on past experiences, um, which is often then, what leads us into trouble because we then just assume that because something has happened in the past, it's going to happen again. So therefore um, you should just, <clears throat> you should just always kind of assume that it's going to happen. But I guess the idea with assumption is that it um, often may shut us down to the, to the very real possibility that the threat won't happen and that a situation may turn out in a completely different way. Um, which I guess is what the whole point of this exercise is, is to kind of test whether your threat is um, real uh, or whether it is assumed. And I guess if it is assumed, um, trying to think about the different ways in which you can um, manage that assumed threat. So, um, so, you know, if it does happen, how might you cope um, would you would you plan ahead? Would you sort of problem solve the situation if it if it comes up? Um, and I guess how might you manage what what goes on for you? Um, and then after you've done all of that, what you then try and try and figure out is whether the emotional reaction that you have had again, if this is a reflective task, 
um, or the emotion that you're currently feeling, you've got to try and check whether that fits the fact. So is what you're feeling representative of the reality as it stands? Um, and I guess if it does, like, so if you sort of have taken all of this into account, if you've looked at the events, you've weighed up the assumptions, you found out that you're not making any assumptions and actually that the threat is real and the emotion that you are feeling fits and the intensity of the emotion that you feel fits, then yeah, it's valid. Um, and you probably have every right to feel the way that you do about that situation. But if, however, you've looked at all the evidence, you've thought about um, whether the event you've thought about the event more objectively, you've sort of, you know, thought about all the potential assumptions that might be made about the event, you've thought about whether the threat is real or a perceived threat, and you've thought about um, alternative ways in which to cope or the possibility that you might be able to cope with it. Um, and actually, you realize that the emotional reaction and the intensity of the reaction maybe doesn't quite fit that, then you can probably make the decision that actually your emotional reaction isn't isn't quite as valid um, for that particular situation um, or event. So yeah, um, hopefully that's been helpful. Um, this has gone on for slightly longer than I intended. Um, I tend to natter quite a lot. Um, and usually I am teaching this skill to other people and they might ask questions. Um, which I then can sort of use and, and um, go into more detail. So if that all sounded a little bit um, hodgepodge and maybe it doesn't make quite a lot of sense, what I am going to do is I will um, see if I can find a freely available link to the check the facts skill um, and I'll put it in the show notes for anyone to sort of go and have a look at. Um, but yeah. So, are all feelings valid? Yes, all feelings are valid. Are they always accurate and representative of the situation in which they arise? Not always. Sometimes, and you know, mostly they probably are, but there are often times when not all emotions or not all emotions are accurate. And actually, we might need to think a little bit more about. Um, how we respond to certain things so um if that's been helpful uh, which i hope it has um you know please let me know um if there's anything that i've said that doesn't quite make sense and you want some clarity around it which is probably very highly probable uh do get in touch and let me know um but overall if you've enjoyed this episode uh do the usual thing of liking sharing all that jazz um and yeah i will chat to you soon all right. Cheers.